This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, November 30th of 2020, it's episode 190. In this episode, GM Game Prep, plus a Patreon question we are ill-equipped to answer, resources for GMs to use, gaps in our own prep styles, recycling old material, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And uh, yeah, we're here. Yep. Hooray. We're doing the thing mm-hmm. we promised we'd do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, so that's exciting. Uh, it, this, is, this is, I think, the first time that we're recording a topic that we brainstormed on air in the previous topic from a Patreon question. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident I can say that that's a thing. That should go just fine, and I see no problems whatsoever. <laughs> Hey, man, he said <laughs> that was a perfectly adequate description of things. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm just look, it's 2020. I have to be cynical. Yeah, it's still 2020. It's, and it's it 2020. Sure Boy, all has over it been a 2020 lately? Only yeah. one month left. By the way, happy, happy new year. It's Advent. Ah, yes. Happy okay. Advent to everyone. That, that'll be exciting. This episode will drop you know, kind of mid Advent. And hey, that's exciting. Yes. Uh, fun fact. Normally, I don't have my Christmas stuff up until like mid-December, and I'm real bad about taking it down until like (laughs) mid-February. We actually have it all up, and we actually have more Christmas stuff up than usual because we're not going to be seeing family much, obviously, this year. We decided to spend a little more on decorations. Oh, okay. So we we bought some extra decorations. Well, it's, it's mostly for the kids. Like, Chrissy and I could get by without it, but the kids... Wanted to, we thought they would need something to kind of help bring in some Christmas spirit, right? So mm-hmm. they actually have small trees in their rooms, which they got oh, today lovely. and decorated. Aww. So that, that's been fun. Uh, we got a new tree. Finally have a pre-lit tree. And oh my goodness, I'm never going back. Um, <laughs> it's one of those nice ones where it actually, rather than having cords that you plug together that are all just sort of pre-strung, the connection is actually in the central column. Mm. Oh, Nice. You just plug in the, the the bottom bit, and then you stack the top the the middle section on, and it lights up. And then you stack the top section on, and it lights up. Very nice. nice. Done. Sounds lovely. <laughs> well, there's another reason for this. You have cats. No, that's a good reason for keeping the cheap tree. <laughs> Chrissy likes colored lights. I like white lights. Let me guess. There's a switch. There is a switch, and it's wonderful. Until this year, we have had to manually keep track on paper in the light box of whose year it is. <laughs> lights. <laughs> this was our compromise. And to her great credit, Chrissy let me go first when we first set up a Christmas tree. Like, oh, okay, we're starting with white. All right, next year will be colored, then white, then colored. This has gone back, forth, back, forth. Right now, it is currently alternating every couple seconds behind me. So <laughs> we have met at long last in the middle. It's like the uh, pink, blue, pink, blue dress from uh, Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. But anyway, we've got everything up and it's kind of nice. So there we go. Speaking of getting back into things and traditions, I also started playing Animal Crossing New Horizons again. Oh, okay. That has been rather nice. It's been, it's just kind of been a nice, calm little thing. And it's been nice to have a game that isn't like, you should keep playing me all the time, forever, and looking at ads. It, you know, Mm -hmm. just, I'm going to keep hooking you. It's like, all right, you've done your stuff today. I mean, I guess you can do stuff, but yeah, whatever. 
you seem fine. And, you know, Chrissy and I probably once they start doing winter stuff, I guess tomorrow, we're recording this last day of November, they'll pro- we'll probably be like, ah, oh, well, we should decorate, you know, and like do some Christmassy stuff on our island or whatever. But for now, it's just been like, oh, well, this has been a nice little trip back in, into this game. So that's been fun. Yeah. And you know what else has been fun? Hmm. What? We got our four-year-old his first video game that's, like, actually his. Oh, nice. Ooh. What'd you get him? Lego Marvel Superheroes. Oh, nice. Chrissy and I were big fans of the Lego games for the PS2. Mm-hmm. They were a lot of fun. Yeah, and I've heard of those kept are excellent. These. So, I mean, they're, Lego games occasionally show up in the Gamers with Jobs podcast, which is, you know, like, 30-plus-year-old gamers mostly, so... They are weirdly fun, I would not say they are terribly difficult, but they are fun. Uh, There's a lot of comedy in the writing in the games, Mm -hmm. which is good because they take these IPs and sort of... Parody them. Yeah, they're very much parodies. For example, you know, Spider-Man in this game is like, you know... He's like, hey, uh, you know, Nick Fury is talking to, to Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man, you want to join us? I can't. I've got a math test tomorrow, and I've got to pick up a dozen eggs, and I have all this angst. <laughs> you know, so very much playing around with that. You're just having fun with it. But it's simple enough that our four-year-old can handle it. He's delighted. He loves Marvel superheroes in general. He's excited to have a game of his own that he can figure out on his own and play through. So, yeah, he and eight-year-old have been playing through things and having an absolute blast. So that's been good. And we got it on the Xbox 360, so it was very cheap. Excellent. Because, you know, it's like two generations old now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Man. That's like, about it. I just think, like, how many console generations old are you? And then it's like, <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'm not going to think about this anymore. <laughs> Listen. I, I remember walking home and playing on my buddy's Atari. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, that's how it was. Yep. <laughs> I don't really have all that much interesting to report. Thanksgiving was kind of a solitary holiday for us because of the pandemic, which was good in some ways and lonely. The The thing that has been good is I have finally started losing some weight. That's good. I, uh, in fact, actually, I have lost quite a lot of weight since I started tracking over the summer. I am down about 20 pounds. Well done. Oh. It, it was nice to not have to do two entire Thanksgiving dinners, which is what we usually do. Mm-hmm. And set that back, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. I, en- I enjoy those, and I like seeing family and... Some of the food that is made by various family members on both sides is just delectable, and I, you know, missed it this year. But at the same time, my wife and I made a turkey ourselves and, you know, some various sides and stuff. And I went in on today. I've been weighing myself with the freight scale at work just because it's convenient, and it was down another pound from last week at this time so well done. yeah well done I, was, I was very happy to see that i didn't derail my progress even with a little bit of extra food so that's nice yeah my weight has also been improving i have been doing a thing called noom chrissy was doing it for a while as well or i guess technically she still is until her paid period expires i don't want to talk about it yet because i just started and i have a bad habit of giving up on things once i talk about them <laughs> but i will have more to say about that Probably in a few weeks. Let's just nice. say that. I did recently, I hit my, my weight goal recently of, of regaining weight. Because mm-hmm. round about, it, 
before the pandemic, I was losing weight in a way where I was like, huh, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm not going to complain. And then the pandemic hit and I basically stopped eating. Oh, <laughs> um, no. Because it, it's, a, it's a very, very common stress response for me. I either eat a lot or I don't eat at all. And yes. I guess yeah. this particular stressor is just like, oh, uh, you need one piece of toast a day. So I've, I'm finally back to my my normal my my healthy weight that I where I, I look at myself in the mirror I'm like oh yeah that looks like me so yep. yeah I'm pretty happy That's about good. that hopefully I can keep the weight on yes definitely one quick note and this is just funny obviously you know we all kind of miss sitting down with family and that's going to hurt more as we kind of get into the advent season yeah but it does have the advantage of not stuffing yourself you're right i know i've told this on the air before but new listeners may not have heard this one before she started dating me chrissy had a boyfriend whose parents were divorced and she did thanksgiving with his with him once i should say they did they tried to do both thanksgivings on the same day but the problem is because they were divorced it was all three thanksgivings hers and his too on the same day. And all three households had a grandma who gave them a full plate and refused to let them leave until they'd cleared it. Oh, no. Oh, that's brutal. It oh, was no. rough. <laughs> it was really it's rough. Like, at some point, it's like, look, I already ate a full meal before I came here. Stop it. You're just hurting me. Like, And then grandma looks at you, you know, disappointedly, and you can't, you can't not. Because grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's roll up a Patreon question and then let's get into this big topic of prep, which oddly I feel underprepared for. But I'll get to that in a bit. That's a that's a five. OK, so this question is from Aaron Arnold. He asks, have you seen Silence by Martin Scorsese or Mother? And how did you feel about how they explore the faith? I've seen no. neither. Same. No. Nope. Haven't, Sorry haven't about seen that. Either one. Great question. <laughs> Sorry, movie buff. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, but no, I, I haven't seen them. Looks like I probably should, just based on your question. I'm not a movie guy in general, and I just, yeah, not not my thing. Sorry. I'm trying to think how to stretch this one out. You know what I have been listening to lately, and this is only tangentially related, but it's a fun thing, and I feel like I should mention it since we're talking about movies. Peter, I know you you know Loading Ready Run. Jenny, do you know Loading Ready Run? Oh gosh, I should remember Loading Ready Run. Are they a you? They are they are a YouTube thing? They are a YouTube thing. They do a bunch of gaming content, but they are also a sketch comedy group. That's what they originally started okay. as. Uh, they're Canadian out of Vancouver, I believe. It's either Vancouver or Toronto. I guarantee yes. it. It's either Vancouver <laughs> no, or Toronto. They're Vancouver. And they're quite good, quite funny, uh, generally wholesome, very fun. One of the things they are doing is a um, a rewatch of all of the James Bond films in order. And I have been listening to that and enjoying that. Wrapped one of those up today. It's quite good. I mean, hmm. the movie wasn't good, but their review of them is extremely funny and very insightful and very good. So strong recommend there. It's from Rewatch with Love. It's got its own podcast feed, I believe. Hmm. It's quite good. In my sort of... I've been, okay, I have a gripe with almost every supposedly critically acclaimed movie that I've watched recently. It's, oh gosh, I don't know. Every time I've been watching a movie recently, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm turning into that guy where 
nothing is good enough and everything is is baby basic first year film school and i'm just like give me more than this i recently uh watched uh the silence of the lambs which grant when you first read out silence in have you seen silence i was like of the lambs do i get to talk about my my opinions that this movie isn't as good as everyone wants to think it is every time i have read this question in the list i have thought exactly the same thing (laughs) (laughs) because yeah i i have been disappointed recently a lot by a lot of of critically acclaimed movies where it's just like oh wow so much eye contact with the camera breaking the fourth wall and you know it's it's supposed to feel invasive it's like no give me more than that please give me more than just oh no wow this is using this filmic technique because of x reason and that's it no i need more please i'm hoping that the lighthouse will be good I'm looking forward to The Lighthouse. I've heard it's weird in a way that I will like. <sighs> Hopefully it's good. Those are my recent film opinions. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, while I've not seen Mother, Mother 2 is great. Here we That's Mother an Earthbound two. joke for uh, those of you who okay. are paying oh, attention. <laughs> oh, and no Earthbound. <laughs> yeah, no Earthbound either. So that one just also so- well, sorry, Aaron, you've consumed media that none of us have consumed. I, yep. I, I feel bad sorry. about this one, but uh, yeah. yeah, if... I tell you what, um, if I ever see either of those movies and mention it in the Discord, feel free to hit me up and ask me about, you know, my opinions and stuff. I'll I'll be happy to weigh in then. So, Yes. Mm-hmm. And let this be a lesson to you all. Don't ask us movie questions. We don't know. <laughs> well, we might yeah. know. Yeah, we I might mean, have if you asked about The Matrix we or something, I would have had opinions for days. In fact, that's a oh, yeah. little bit of a foreshadowing for later in the episode. So, Ask me about Daybreakers. I've been thinking about Daybreakers a lot recently. Oh, that was good. That's the oh, Willem Dafoe one, right? Yeah, Willem Dafoe and uh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. And I can never remember her name. Yeah, that one was that one was quite good. I, um, oh, I love it. I expected a dumb action movie, and I got something significantly more intelligent Same. and interesting out of that. I went so. in. I went in. So I, I... Okay, I'm sorry. We're going off on a movie tangent. I guess this is a whole dang segment. I crochet really well to vampire movies that are bad. Okay. Recently, within the last six months or so... No, and you know what? I've watched Daybreakers previously. Anyway, many times in a row at this point, this year and in the past year, I have attempted to find more garbage like Underworld, because Underworld is my go-to crochet movie. And the second Underworld movie, don't remember the title. Here are things that I've tried to watch and then been disappointed because they were too good. Daybreakers, (laughs) um, Sirius the Jaeger... And actually, that's it. I, I thought there was going to be more lead up to this. And I apologize. Oh, my goodness. This question's been a mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Aaron, um, you kind of broke us. We, we tried. We tried to give you something interesting. We tried. <laughs> we hang our heads in shame at our ignorance of your superior movie watching <laughs> experience. <laughs> if you want to give us questions that either we really can't answer like this one or questions that we can't answer. If you answer. would like to expose the secret shame in our lacking media diets, you too can yes, ask us please questions send us about specific questions about properties. We've never heard of. It'll be great. <laughs> you know what? I've at least heard of Silence because it's a Martin Scorsese movie, but that's... I had not. Okay. I had not heard of Silence. I had heard of Mother. Okay. Well, I <laughs> All right, let's get out of this question because we're just going to embarrass ourselves further. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you want to continue to embarrass us, you can send Patreon questions about movies to, you know, through 
Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. You can just message us through there or, you know, DM us on Discord or tweet them at us or email them email to us, us or, or yeah. whatever it is. But you got to back us on Patreon for that to work. Patreon.com slash saving the game. You can do that for as little as a dollar a month. For as little as a dollar a month, you can humiliate the three of us and it'll be great. <laughs> anyway. All right. We've got some Let's scripture. Get some scripture. Yeah. yeah. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And this is Luke 14, verses 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And we have James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So our topic tonight is GM prep, right? Preparing to run a game. And this, we try and make most episodes for players and for GMs. This one is going to lean a little bit more towards GMing. But if you're mostly a player, I'd suggest you listen anyway, because you're going to get a little peek behind the screen and hopefully have some things you can take to your GM and be like, hey, chill. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay? Because most GMs need to be talked down, not talked up in my experience. <laughs> so when when we say prep, obviously we're just talking about any sort of advanced preparation work a GM puts into the game before they sit down to run that game. Okay? A very broad term here. The other end of this spectrum is you could say just, you know, being a pure improv GM. Most GMs have to improv on the fly. Most GMs put in some prep. I will also say that improv is improved by prep work, but we will be talking more about like how to prep to improv next next time because there is work that goes into that. There really is. And we'll, we'll hit on a little bit of that, but I'm sure Jenny and I will have more to say about that next episode. Yeah, I'm going to be, this is going to be a, an episode where I sit back and listen because I barely prep at all. Like, a lot of the time my prep is the session starts and I ask my players, what do you want to do today? So, like, that that's that's a lot of my GMing thing. I would love to be that person. I am not. I kind of <laughs> want to be. I'm going to be listening really carefully next episode. <laughs> but I tend to over-prepare. I winged an entire campaign once. Yeah, and, and winging it's great, but... Some of it is the medium that we use. I personally feel like virtual tabletop games, especially virtual tabletop games that are also D&D, &D, mm -hmm. require more prep to actually be a D&D &D experience. They do. Mm -hmm. But when I was running Vampire, albeit badly, there was not much prep going into that. There has been a very different amount of prep between my City on a Hill game and the Princes of the Apocalypse module that I'm running. It's not necessarily more or less, but they are very different types of prep. Yeah, it's been an interesting experience. A couple of things. Well, let me start here. What's the bare minimum you need to prepare for any given game session? 
Hmm. Because it's not a lot. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Answering for myself, I would say a couple of things for the player characters to do, basically, and maybe Uh something to happen in the world to kind of have them react to. Okay. For me, it's literally just enough action that if the players do not come up with any action of their own, you can fill a session. And you can fill a session in a direction you want it to go so that you have a direction for the plot. You have some stuff happening. You have maybe a couple notes on key figures or key moments or key setting places. But even that may not entirely be necessary. And if you're presenting some sort of problem or mystery or something where players could get stuck, there needs to be at least one route through it so that you can nudge people onto a solution if they just cannot figure out a solution on their own. Okay, that's it. Yeah, I think the way that I work, as much as I say that I am an improv GM, and I I am to quite an extent, I do have an intimate knowledge of the setting that I'm working in. That prep is done at session before session zero. So... I have a huge, massive amount of of setting prep that I do right from the start. After that, I have set myself up to and I already like I already know what's going on in in the world. I can go from there at pretty much any point. So, as much as I'm like, yeah, and I, I'm I'm an improv GM, I have already before the game even begins done a huge amount of work in making a setting that the players will enjoy so that it can be much more of a player-run experience. So that's a key point. There are different prep uh, uh, periods, timeframes, you might say. The first one is, as you say, when the game starts. You have to do a lot of planning when the game starts. Like, okay, what's the overarching plot going to be? What... What are the relationships? Who are the main antagonists? That kind of thing. You're th- you know, you're thinking where, what, where what safety and, techniques and what are people into and not into? Yeah, and we're not necessarily talking session zero stuff, but you you are taking that session zero info and adjusting your game for that, right? Oh, I was going to do vampires. Somebody doesn't like vampires. Um, okay, maybe like a shadow lord. Uh, you know, some something from like a negative energy plane that that works and it's not empiric. Okay, it should be fine, right? That kind of thing. You're doing a lot of prep work. There's that big window before the game starts where you are really hammering out all those big ideas. In between sessions, I often have like some set prep time where I'm like working on actual game material, but I am also thinking about the game in the car or while I'm while I'm at work, you know, making my lunch or or whatever, right? I'm just kind of letting my mind turn things over, going, oh, you know what? This would be cool. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be nice. Or if I'm, you know, browsing the, the internet, looking at Reddit or something, I see a cool picture. Oh, yeah, you know what? This kind of matches what I had uh, for my game. Or, oh, hey, this is something I'd like to use for another game. Save that somewhere so I can come back to it and pull it up later. All of that is ongoing prep work that happens, even if you're not sitting down to hammer out NPC statistics and create battle maps or whatever, that's all prep. It's all going on in your brain, and that's okay. That's good stuff. But then there is the actual prep work where you sit down and make stuff. And that is mostly, I think, what we're going to be talking about, but don't lose sight of the other things, because those are real and those are very important. 
Yeah. For me, uh, notes are maybe one of the, the biggest and most important things because that helps me organize my thoughts ahead of time and give my gives me something to work off of because especially for games that don't meet super regularly like our games i have to write things down or i would just i will straight up forget what we were doing and where we should be going i've had to do that a lot less with the uh princes of the apocalypse module because it's all kind of there for me it's all written out but for the city on a hill game yeah i am absolutely making notes like all right so this is what's coming up and this is what we did yeah because i mean that that game has one session a month so it's you know even even if you're like super invested in it and i think we all are it's just it's very infrequent you know and Mm -hmm. with adult lives a lot happens in a month and you can forget so you need to make sure you've got that recorded exactly and those notes are more than plot i try and make a some super basic notes about NPC characterizations. I try and put a little bit of background information in, whatever I need to be able to present an interesting session. One thing I thought of, by the way, if you're like me and you like doing voices, but you meet infrequently, record yourself doing a voice for a particular NPC so you can remind yourself what it's actually like session to session. <laughs> that may help be helpful. I have found myself doing this even just reading to the kids, like the voices for characters vary a little bit because like Chrissy and I will alternate and then like, you know, oh, the kids want to do their own bedtime tonight. And so we kind of are working our way through a book piecemeal. And then so like four days later, when I sit back to, down to do another character or do the same character, it's like, this is not the same voice as I had last time. I don't remember what that voice was. Uh, I hope I remember by the end of the sentence. Nope. All right. Next sentence. Nope. Not the next, not this sentence. All right, kids, this gets, this guy's Scottish now, (laughs) you know, happens. This doesn't need to be super detailed though. Okay. Just to give a quick overview of my notes from sitting on a hill where I'm coming up with the whole plot, right? I've got a few highlights of the, the plot points where, Action is going to actually take place and they have to do something. I've got names. I've got quick little descriptions, a little bit of, hey, you should play off this kind of notes. Like the NPCs are obviously nervous when they see others. They are at the Oasis. There is much obvious whispering, right? That kind of, oh, what's what's this all about kind of thing. And then, hey, this is what the NPCs will actually need to do, right? And then a few notes on... A character and their background and some information and uh, maybe they could get these particular items as rewards if things go well. All right, cool. That's it. That's all I needed for two whole sessions and four episodes of a recorded actual play podcast. I had a little less than a page of notes. One other thing that I think I should call out there because it's relevant, the larger the size of your party the less prep you need, most likely, because every player at the table is going to want to interact with the stuff that has come up in the game in in some capacity. Let's say at least 85% of the time, you've got some of those quieter players that sit back and don't interact with stuff as much. But, you know, the more people you have there, the more time it's going to take to get through any individual piece of plot or something. So uh, if you have a large group, you can prep less. If you have a small group, you need to prep more. And speaking of, don't be afraid, longtime GMs and longtime GMs probably know this, but maybe if you're even just stepping into the GMing role with a new group, it's your first time, but you've played before, recycle. 
reuse encounters and stats and NPCs as you go from like group to group. Yeah. Right. Even, even if you're changing systems, just the general idea of, well, this is a cool kind of scenario. This is a cool thing. This was a cool monster. Just borrow that, put it into your game, run with it. I'd say also like not even just group to group. I'd say session to session. If you are playing D&D the way that I do, take the base. I, I, I have sort of in my head a kind of uh, monster A, monster B, monster C set of stats. Every now and then I'm going to throw some kind of weird funky move on there to make it seem individual. But like ABC is just a very standard set of of AC and armor class and hit points. It's and I use three standard pairings. If I'm doing like a big boss fight or something like that, then I will probably go right to the monster manual. But ABC and that's just how easy or difficult it is to fight the monster doing that ahead of time will will save you a lot of of prep work in between a lot of gm or a lot of advice sources will suggest like pre-making npcs and sticking them in wherever you need honestly i don't find that i need to do that i can just grab a a monster and reskin it pretty quickly i don't need to pre-make things but it is really nice to have tools handy for things like names or just a list of names or something like that because names take a lot more work for me than reskinning stats yeah i can describe one thing as another thing very easily coming up with a name is tough Mm -hmm. you know one of the best ways of coming up with names on the fly right mispronounce something in the room well okay that's that's another really good one (laughs) thank you i did not come up with it thank thank chad for that by the way (laughs) all right thank you chad take a real name and just tweak a couple of letters for instance like if you've got you know some character think of you know the real name of david and then just davion instead yep that works just fine i struggle with that sometimes and i don't know why because it makes a lot of sense i should say i struggle with it on the fly ah okay I can do it when I'm sitting down to come up with names, but uh, on the fly, that doesn't work for me. And I'm not sure why that is. I, I do think it's okay to just borrow things wholesale. Yeah. Because I have seriously considered just borrowing some stuff from the Colony game and putting it into the City on a Hill game. The only the only problem with it is that Peter really liked the Colony game and was paying attention <laughs> and might recognize a few things. Peter's also not a jerk and he's not going to metagame in a bad way or, or like point it out and be like, oh, and such as, and he's not going to carry things over that might not be present because Peter's yeah, a good no, player. Yeah, that's true. So. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm not sure I could stop him from squeeing if I introduced meat into the game, for oh, example. Fair, fair. I see, I see. I, you know what? Would that be so bad? <laughs> Would it be so awful if I squeed for a moment and then we just got back on with things? Ah, uh, maybe not. I don't know. We'll Especially see. in something as aggressively wholesome as City on a Hill. Well, that, that's why I thought of Meep. But yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> Meep was a, a fairy dragon. So Meep was you know, a spoilers. Fairy dragon. <laughs> a couple other notes: visuals. We talked a little bit about like images. I love. I had uh, for the the colony game like a massive bookmark list of art that I saw on various subreddits and other sort and Twitter and other sources of like, Hey, this was cool. Hey, this is lovely. Various tropical places and islands and cool fantasy uh, paintings and things like that. As far as maps, we could honestly do an entire episode on maps and making interesting maps and making interesting encounter locations. 
we might have done that already to a certain degree, but mapping, like, we could do a whole thing on. But honestly, just remember, you really, really only need enough of a map that players aren't lost when you describe things. And if you are doing tactical combat, they can move in some way that fits into the system. I say this glaring accusatorily into a mirror because... <laughs> Oh my goodness, I spend so much time making pretty maps that are used once, and then that's it. Okay, but I get to show off that I can sometimes do a little bit of Photoshop work, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, it doesn't matter. I really could be there. I could draw a map in MS Paint, and it would be good enough. Mm -hmm. Seriously. We'll get a little bit into kind of the, the prep process that I use. So for maps, I tend to work backwards a lot of the time. It's like I need a map of some kind of environment. And then I go to Reddit R battle maps and see if I can find one. And if I can't, I just look for something cool until it's like, OK, that'll work. And then I'll readjust my plans. I do that a lot. Uh, it's very helpful. And if you're doing some very generic stuff, it works great. You know, if you have something specific in mind, eh, you may have to draw your own. That's okay. Totally fine. I certainly understand why people make money on Patreon drawing battle maps, though. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's not easy. It is not. And there are some really gorgeous maps out there, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing in-person gaming and GMing and stuff, my there, there was a lovely website. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes where it's just like, here's a bunch of graph paper. And here, do you, do you, how big do you want the squares? How big do you want those hexes? Do you want it to be dotted lines so you can customize graph paper? I'd print a whole lot of that off and then tape it all together and then just draw maps on that maybe five minutes after I asked people, you know, hey, what do you want to do today? <laughs> yep. If, if I needed to. Every now and then, uh, it would just happen that we needed a map and I, have, having graph paper handy dandy right there was very very useful i'm not sure how much you can improv a map like that on roll 20 or, or something like that because i'm not familiar it with the gming tough. tools in roll 20 not as easily as you would like unfortunate yeah. okay it's very unfortunate <laughs> virtual tabletop prep is more significant it's a bigger time sink than sitting down to prep at a physical table mm -hmm. it just is yeah you have yeah. to make the maps and external things Ideally, you need some sort of token uh, for each character. If you you really need to set up dice macros and character sheets and NPCs it, because it makes everything just go faster rather than waiting for people to type everything in. And sure, you know, you can trust people to just roll dice because, you know, you play with trustworthy people, but it just makes it easier if everything's being rolled in the virtual tabletop because people can see the rolls. Yeah, there's not that delay like, where it's like, roll the die, look at the die, report the die to everybody else, wait, for, you know, that split second for that to register in everybody's brain, repeat 700 times a combat, you know? It's like... Right. Or, oh, I did my math wrong. It's so much easier if you just click a button. Yeah. It's nice, especially for monsters, because then it's, all right, this does this, this does this, this does this, and it's just click one thing, and you're done, and it moves so much faster. I don't disagree, but I run into a problem with that because I am a GM who does not like to ever throw the same thing at his party twice. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to do like detailed sheets for every monster that I had in my any given like D&D &D game that I ran, 
I'd be up to thousands of entries at this point, probably. I mean, it's just it's, it would be too much. That's why I keep those sheets simple, because ultimately, how much difference is there really between different monsters, especially in like fifth edition? There's not a lot. Depends on the system you're using. I mean, like in third edition, lots. Fifth edition, eh. Bounded accuracy. Third edition, there was a little less than you might think, despite the bloat that went into character stats and NPC stats. Fifth edition, yeah, they've they've trimmed it down a lot, right? Monster stat blocks are not big. You tend to stick to first party content. I do not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My, my level of complexity is significantly higher because of that difference. Yeah, well, I'm lazy and will re I would happily reskin a monster rather and be like, yeah, it's got, I don't know, fire claws, sure, whatever, than look for stats where somebody has made a monster with fire claws and a bunch of other stuff that I just don't need. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Stylistic it's, it's difference. a fire chimera. Cool. Virtual tabletop stuff, it, you just have to put in a little more work ahead of time. Session to session may not be as much work because you've got stuff saved and you can just pull it back up, that sort of thing. But especially in that initial setup time, it's tough. That just is work. Jenny, you've got a couple of specific notes here that I, I want to make sure we don't do. miss. So I have noticed a recent trend and it it doesn't seem to have lasted terribly long and I hope it's on the way out, but of bullet journaling. I'm tired of it. Your players probably are not looking at your notes. I, I've seen, and again, this is not, I think this this is a thing, thing that seems more common than it is. Your GMing notes do not have to be bullet journaled. You're not a bad GM if you're not making the most aesthetic journal for your GMing notes. You don't need that. You, and, and it's not necessary. I, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? Uh, next time I'm at work, because that's where all my GMing notes are, next time I'm at work, I'm going to scan some of my notes. I, I will upload them as JPEG into these show notes and show you what garbage they look like. But you know what? I know what they mean, and that's all that matters. And actually, it might be to your advantage if you do have players that just tend to look over, you know, at your notes. They may not, it might, might not be maliciously, but if you do have someone with sort of like wandering eyes, eyes wandering towards your notes, if they can't understand what they're saying, then then uh, no spoilers for them. So, <laughs> little advantage there. there. But no, seriously, your players aren't looking at your notes is one of the most important bits of advice I can give you, or at least can echo, because all you have to do is just write down just enough for you to remember what you mean and go from there. And it also helps you improv. Yeah. Uh, also, you're you're not writing a novel here. I had a GM way, way back who literally had a one of those like gigantic, I don't know how many inches thick it was, binders of narratives that he had written out for us to play. Did we ever do mm -hmm. them? No, it was a massive waste of his time. And I kind of feel bad that we didn't, I, you know what? No, no, I don't. I don't feel bad that we didn't play his novel. You, you don't need no, to do that. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> you should not play anyone's novel. No. If he wants to write a novel, great, have at. Yeah. But th this is a collaborative storytelling experience. Uh-huh. Also, I think we've been sort of dancing around this, this topic. Prepping with a module and prepping homebrew games are totally different. It really is different because I'm doing it right now and it's wildly different. 
this is why I hate modules. Bo- okay, both are homework. Both kinds of game preps are like homework. Homebrew is like for art class with the chill teacher. And modules is like reading uh, dry. No, it does, it's not necessarily dry, but it's like it's it's like reading homework for the really strict teacher for English lit. You know, I've had a different experience. For me, it's more like math homework mm. where I need to set everything up precisely and then interpret a few things and try and be like, okay, this goes here. There's not – where do I want to place it? That sort of thing. Like there's just a little bit of freedom, but then it's, okay, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. It's very precise. The thing is I love that kind of math homework. I I, I am a math person. And also you're talking about a D&D module and I am not. Uh, I'm – I'm talking about a much more narrative uh uh I'm talking about overlight which is is not D&D and it it doesn't it I don't think it even has set up for doing miniatures even No. You I mean you could but why? So so my experience is it's just it's reading homework but it's not I don't like reading modules. I find them incredibly <laughs> yeah, boring, even if they're, they are well-written. I have fun playing them. Uh, I don't like modules. <laughs> I don't, I've never enjoyed English lit homework. Uh, at least not, not the reading part. I have enjoyed doing the Princess of the Apocalypse prep because mm. it's, all right, I put the map in here, set it all up, and then it's, it's like setting up a compli- complicated mechanism or or setting up like a an obstacle course kind of thing and then but you ever you ever do that for kids where you like set something up or like for an, a cat or something you set it up and then be like okay go and they play with the box let's see what kind of state this is going to be left in at the end <laughs> right and it's just kind of you get everything ready and then let it loose right you mm-hmm. let the kids loose you let the players loose on the on the map and then like okay well by the end of it it's interesting what you didn't touch, and it's interesting what you destroyed. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> I like that, personally. That's just me. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, that will that will happen with uh, stories and stuff, too, in addition to just, like, an, you know, map encounters. I, I pulled up some notes of mine from a uh, session last spring. Looking through this, I had planned for the player characters to bump into an NPC that they had encountered and kind of who's from kind of like a rival civilization, um, but they had had friendly dealings with, and he'd been kind of part of like this triumvirate of three uh, NPCs that work together, and this would be a chance to interact with this particular individual alone, and kind of on the way to doing something else. Yeah, none of that even happened. The players did some stuff earlier in the session that would that made this so it wouldn't have made any sense, and it's like, okay, well... um. I guess I'm just going to go with the very basic stuff of the other thing they're going to run into because players didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this, that's an important note. Whenever you're prepping something, if the players run in completely the other, the other direction, don't throw it away. You can always just pull it back in later. Maybe they'll come back that way. Maybe you can just reskin a few things and stick it in front of them again. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Kind of, kind of like Jenny was saying, the players aren't reading your notes. The players aren't reading your notes. Like... They don't know what you had planned to use at some point in the game and never got to. So if you want to pull that out and use it again, that's not cheating. That's just efficiency. You you are under no obligation to to wholly discard something that your players never interact with or just like see once and run away. You know, that's 
that's that's wasteful, actually. I, I kind of want to get into some process stuff. Just I'll, I'll kind of use myself as an example case study, like, you know, strengths and weaknesses here. And you guys can kind of critique or say that you like stuff or that sort of thing. First of all, I don't usually prep all that much. But I still prep more than some GMs, and this kind of gets back to what Grant was saying about the virtual tabletop thing. Back in the 3.5 era, I winged, like I said, an entire campaign from level 5 to level 21. The thing that made it possible for me to do that was the only prep that I ever did was making game stats of things for my players to fight. Uh, because combat is a big part of 3.5 D&D. I ran all of my combats theater of the mind. I... um just kind of, you know, went with it and, you know, they went off and they reacted to things. I, I would think of interesting stuff in the world to point them at. And if they went for it, I'd describe it more. And if they didn't, I'd come up with something else. You know how we did tactical combat back when in one of my big three, five games, the GM grabbed a pencil, sketched a couple of things on a piece of paper. We all picked a die that was unique enough to serve as a miniature and a mechanical pencil was 30 feet. Perfect. We used that to measure. All right. Ta-da! Yeah, stuff like that is great. Back in the day, I used to wing a lot. Because of the way that virtual tabletops work, I need maps, I need tokens, that sort of thing. Um, I Grant and I have both mentioned Token Stamp uh, 2 a couple of times. It'll be linked yet again in the show notes on this one. It is a really nice utility. You just It's a web thing. You just pick an image, you know, drag it to the middle of the circle, and download it. It's very nice. It's really good for making tokens for like Roll20 or whatever other virtual tabletop that you've got. I get it. Like I said earlier in the episode, I get a lot of use out of the Battle Maps subreddit. And I think like for 5e, because it is so combat heavy, one of the things that I do try and plan out every single session is some kind of interesting set piece battle. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, like if you look at a 5e character sheet, what percentage of the stuff on there has to do with fighting? 75 at least yeah i was gonna say 80 percent, but yeah. yeah if you're a bard a little less if you're a fighter a little more if you're a wizard up to you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to a certain extent if you're a druid up to you part of the reason why people play D, &D is to fight monsters so give them some interesting fights uh, one key hole in my prep that i will admit to i am terrible about post-game notes by the time I have run a session for four hours, I do not feel like sitting down and taking notes afterwards. I feel like getting out of my chair, stretching my legs, doing something else. And I often mean to do some notes and I'm really inconsistent and bad about it. And the fact is, it's even worse for me because I'm a writer. <laughs> I should be doing it as practice. And I don't. For me, I have... I have very few post-game notes and many, many, many during-game notes. Yeah, and I never take notes during a game. Like, I should. I'm really but, bad at that, too. Yeah. I, just, here's the thing. Like, I never feel like I have enough time to actually take notes while keeping the game going. I either need to pay attention to what my characters are, you know, doing as my players roleplay amongst themselves, embody some NPC for them to interact with, or run the combat. Where do I have time to take notes in there? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not that good at multitasking. <laughs> also, in most of my games, I find that there's a player who likes taking notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of one of my uh, kiddo players literally has a D&D &D diary. It's amazing. Those, those players are wonderful. She's fantastic. 
She's the same, same kid who drew different outfits for her character and then would say and would like open up the D&D diary and point to the outfit and say, this one, this is what I'm wearing today. That is really cool. One of one of my previous GMs actually referred to those types of players as the scribe for like, <laughs> you know, for their role in the, the gaming group. And I I always liked that. Um, yeah. I, I think if you if you're fortunate enough to have a scribe at your table, Take advantage of the fact that they are there. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, um, I'm going to give Aaron from our question some props. When he was in my game, he would actually do like plot summary, like short videos and stuff sometimes or write them out and things. And that was lovely and delightful and kept us all like on the plot and stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. So those those scribe players like... If you are fortunate enough to have one, encourage them, treasure them, be glad that they are there. <laughs> they are an unmitigated good at your table. They are not horning in on your GM territory. They are a blessing. <laughs> I guess like also compounding the the problem with taking pregame notes. I am a big fan of uh, systems and complexity and will occasionally run into the eyes are bigger than my stomach problem with games that have more moving parts than I should have included. I will probably never stop doing this to myself, but it is it is a known flaw of mine. And then kind of moving on from that, because I don't want to make this all about me, but I, I want to kind of acknowledge something that we touched on a little bit earlier. There's something that I would like to call like long term prep or maybe persistent prep, which is just I suppose you could also call just strengthening your GMing muscles. I would throw things like reading books of GMing advice in here. Specific recommendations for that. Uh, Michael Sly Flourish Shia's Lazy DM books are excellent. I'd also recommend anything from Engine Publishing or written by Robin D. Laws. Matt Koval has some good um, videos. Oh yeah, as well. Matt Koval is wonderful. He's he's a an excellent one too. I would put him in the next category. Listening to podcasts or watching video series. Uh, so for you know people like Matt Koval or Seth Skorkowski or you know some of the other like kind of. GMing advice people out there on the internet, great resources. You know, I mean, by listening to an RPG podcast, you are prepping right now as far as I'm concerned. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Perusing manuals for the system you're playing and or other things in the same genre. You can either be like learning the system more, which is excellent for a GM, you know, but you can also just be getting more familiar with tropes. Although I will say, uh, just as kind of as a side note here, if you are, say, running fantasy, it's good to read some fantasy and stuff. It's bad to read nothing but fantasy. If you are running a fantasy game, the worst thing that you can do for making your game fresh and interesting is to do nothing but read fantasy books, watch fantasy movies or anime, like fantasy, fantasy, play fantasy video games, fantasy, fantasy, nothing but fantasy. You will make the most horrible, cliched nonsense ever. Watch, read, play stuff in other genres. Be familiar with the tropes in order to identify them. Do not be so beholden to them that it just becomes one massive trope. Mm -hmm. know, the, know the tropes so you can bust them. <laughs> and this is true of every genre, yes. just to be clear. I, I yeah. will say, like, be aware of stuff that translates well to other genres, though. The tropes of things like westerns and spy thrillers tend to be shockingly portable to other genres, those can be good for just kind of general like plot ideas and stuff because Westerns and spy thrillers are focused around adventurers. Basically, you've got your lone gunman who's wandering around or maybe your group of them 
or you've got your incredibly competent team of, you know, people with diverse skills working to do secret missions. You know, it's like those broad descriptions fit a lot of RPG groups regardless of the genre. So I would say like Westerns and spy thrillers are good to just, I mean, first of all, they're just really like entertaining. At least I think so. But they're they're good for ideas that you can move to other genres without too much difficulty. Crime movies, too, to a certain extent. Virtually every world has an underworld of some kind, so there's that. I would throw uh, things like bookmarking helpful websites into here. So like Grant was saying, uh, name generators are just big old lists of names. Um, and get real world ones, too. My player character in Grant's Sharn game, it was an Arabic or a Persian name and an Igbo name were his first and last name. They were both real-world names. Behindthename.com. Yep. Behindthename.com. Yes. It lets you search by meaning of name. Yeah, which is wonderful, because that's what I did for yes. Nasir. His first name, Nasir, means protector, and his last name, Anwameze, I believe it was, is an Igbo name that means death has no king. I thought that was kind of cool for an undying court person. The name Ateri means heir. Um, or ether, which is good for a person who has wings on. Yeah, yeah. That was your character in my motorcycle game. She was yeah. a bird person. <laughs> yeah, I, I love using symbolic names for characters. I mean, Lambert meant bright land, and, you know, he was this very good aligned nature cleric, so that fit. Similarly, I would say encounter balance tools, dice rollers, even if you don't have them bookmarked, know where they are, how to get them, yeah. how to search for them. Honestly, it's the same skill as, like, tech support. A lot of tech support skill is not knowing everything but knowing how to look it up efficiently yeah right yeah same Can kind of confirm thing. <laughs> other thing offload your work yeah 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 as much as you can offload your work to professionals and nice people sharing stuff on the internet you know the battle maps and unearthed arcana uh, subreddits are great for fifth edition gms if you're one to buy supplements like i am make sure you use them don't just read this and you know go like oh that was neat and stick it on a shelf like make sure you use it uh, the other thing is you are in no way beholden to the flavor or lore of anything as it's presented. You can take those mechanics and make them whatever you want. Reskin and remix. It's your world. Adjust stuff so it fits. Yep. Touched on that earlier. Please do that. Yeah. It's it saves you a lot of work and makes things sound interesting, even though you, really it's the same stuff out of the monster manual or whatever supplement you bought used over and over again. Yeah. One of the they things that uh, I think is probably the, the biggest thing to keep in mind here is a lot of the time there will be some notes in there about how this creature behaves or what kind of tactics it uses or that sort of thing. Throw that stuff out the window if you want. Like, just yep. open the window and they're not it right They're out. not rules. They're more like guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a small spoiler, Peter. Okay. I have had some thoughts rattling in my head about Myconids. Okay. For the City on a Hill game. They have a little bit of social structure built off of what's in the monster manual, but very little. Okay. Like, they're, they're fairly different. Some of the stuff that they can do is going to be not exactly reskinned, but presented in a different way. Huh. Right. So, for example, they have a thing that Myconid sovereigns can reanimate bodies. Right. Right. It's the whole fungal zombie kind of thing. You know, it's the fungus controlling a dead body. Right. Well, in a not quite explicitly Christian, but pretty close setting, that has to be handled very differently. Right. Can they can we do that reverently? I think I found a way to do that where the philosophy of it is different. Interesting. Right? Is this going to come up anytime soon? Not necessarily, but it's a thing that 
is, you know, it may not come up at all, but it's something that I had to think about and I've reskinned the relevant pieces, not the whole thing. I mean, they're still myconids, but I've given it a lot of thought of how this would work in this particular setting so that it can be fun and maybe a little bit silly, right? To sort of fit in, but also on those points where it could be weird and awkward, I'm instead making it interesting and wholesome. Okay, I'll give you another example that I that we've already encountered in this City on a Hill game that I like just as much, if not more, that you did. Tubor. Most of the time, Cyclopses are bloodthirsty and dumb. Tubor is peaceful and erudite. <laughs> like, he's still a big, strong, one-eyed giant dude, but he's, like, well-spoken He's introspective. He's fairly gentle when it comes down to it. And it's like, this is not anywhere near the, you know, like Polyphemus from Greek myth that this creature was originally based on. Doesn't matter. It was neat. Do it anyways. You know, <laughs> one other piece of advice, try and keep your gamer goggles on as you consume media. And I would I would say, like, go with as wide of a field of vision as you can on this. Look for Anything you can use, creatures, items, plots, characters, locations. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, after The Matrix came out, a ton of groups playing Shadowrun and Cyberpunk and various other like, you know, Feng Shui probably had a version of the lobby gunfight scene from close to the end of that movie because it was awesome. <laughs> and that is not like cheesy or stupid or you know lame or anything if you and your group enjoy that go for it like it's great to actually get inside of some of those pop culture things and make them their, your own like it is it is literally no different from playing a licensed video game when you do that so don't feel bad about just you know hey i saw this awesome thing i'm gonna crib it wholesale and we're gonna have fun with it Great. Do that. Uh, one other thing, try not to box yourself in as you're prepping. The more generic you make your events, your encounters, your interactions that you're planning out, the easier time you will have with rolling with unexpected PC behavior. And you will avoid the problem that I had where I had to just like chop the entire middle out of a section of my notes and just toss it because it didn't fit anymore. So try and make your, your stuff, especially if you have a group of players that is smart and innovative and likes to come up with unorthodox solutions to problems, make your stuff as generic as possible so it can just slot right in wherever you need it, whatever, you know? And then I'm going to echo Grant's advice that if you used something in a previous game or you didn't and wanted to, use it again. Especially if you don't have a lot of player overlap, use it again. Like Grant was talking about with Meep, there might be that one player at the table that's an overlap between the couple of games. That person is probably going to smile when uh, you introduce that. It's like, oh, yeah, I know where this came from. You know, if you if you keep bringing back the same thing in every single game you run, that can get a little stale. But eh, don't feel bad about reusing something here and there. I want to hear anyone else's advice that they have. You know, tweet that at us. Comment on Facebook. Bring it to the Discord. Absolutely. These are all great ways to, to talk with us and our community members. There are a lot of people who follow us on Twitter and Facebook, for example, that would love to, to talk about it there. And of course, our Discord is amazing. We've got some wonderful folks in there, and I strongly recommend you join it if you can if you haven't yet. If you want to find any of this stuff, you know, or our Patreon or anything like that, find our website, stgcast.org. Everything, including Peter's blog posts, the episode show notes, all that stuff, all there waiting for you to, to click on and find old episodes and everything else. It's great. 
Yep. One other thing I'd ask, please review us on iTunes, Podchaser, anywhere else that accepts reviews. Please share our episodes around. It helps a ton. It really does. It's one of the best ways you can support us without spending money. I promise. Yep. And it doesn't take much time. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. And we'll catch you next time when we talk about improv. Yep. Yeah. See you later, See folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.